So go to Luke. If I can find it in my Bible, we're going to be in real good shape. Luke is in, there we go. Luke's in the New Testament, third book. So if you're looking at your whole Bible, it's far towards the back um, in relation to everything else. So get all my stuff turned on. Y'all know it. Y'all hear it all the time. There's no performance up here, so everything gets going while we're watching. If we're praying, I'm praying. So um, we have been going through and talking about worship for a few weeks going into Christmas season, and uh, now we're continuing to do that. We're not talking about what the word means. We're talking about what does it look like to do it? What does worship actually look like? And in the context of you, what does it look like when you worship? If I said, if I were to go around the room and say, how do you worship? Likely, you may have an instant response, but if you stop and think about it a minute, it might require a little more explanation. And I bet you that we all might answer it a little differently. We'll probably have a lot of the same stuff, but there may be some different things in there. So that's where we've been walking through. And... Uh, Yesterday, I was finishing up some study and stuff, and I don't know if y'all are like me, but it pretty much doesn't matter what channel you turn the TV on. It's Christmas movie time. You know what I'm saying? They're on every channel, on every on everything. They're, it's all Christmas this, Christmas that, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about Buddy the Elf or Clarence the Angel or, I mean, we know all of the, all of the movies, you know, Christmas Vacation, Polar Express, Fred Claus, Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, I can sit here and keep listing them, Home Alone. Uh, some say die hard, you know, that's up for debate, but anyway, uh, there's always in these movies though, the emotional moment at the end where they cue the Christmas carol, which is usually a, a, a gospel based song, a Bible based song. Yet what we're looking at is, uh, people opening presents, kids opening presents, or maybe it's a family being reunited or coming back together. Uh, not calling any of this wrong. I'm just saying, what is it that's warming your heart when, when you're looking at that? Like, what is, for lack of a better phrase, what is Christmas spirit by today's definition? I'm not asking you to give me the, the Bible one. I'm asking what would people answer, how would people answer that question? More importantly, and this is where I think I'm, I'm coming to, is, is that something that gets worshipped? Yes, I 100% think so. Uh, it, it is absolutely something that gets worshipped. Even our modern Christmas carols, they celebrate charity, they celebrate goodwill, they celebrate gift giving, but they don't celebrate the king. When you think about celebrating a king, that's not what you're thinking about. Not Christmas carols. Uh, you know, or at least the modern day ones. Partly, but that's because of, what does a king imply? Rule. Authority. Government. Reign. Like all, all those things. One of those songs that's on repeat now, nowadays is Mary Did You Know. Um, and honestly, if you know the song, you know if you don't, that's, you can look it up in your own time. But uh, it's highly unlikely that Mary knew that her boy would one day walk on water. But. She certainly knew that her baby would one day rule the nations. I can't promise you. You know how I know? Because she says so. Because she knew Scripture. And remember, man, as we're looking at this, remember, Mary can't open a Bible like you can. 
Mary couldn't open the app on her phone, you know, or say, hey, Siri. Sorry if everything lights up all of a sudden. Mary couldn't, Mary couldn't do that, right? Mary didn't have that opportunity. In fact, all scripture would have been kept in the temple or in the synagogue. So she'd have had to go there. But as a woman, she'd have no access to it. She would never have the opportunity to go say, hey, could you pull that out and let me read it? The, the person, the, whoever was governing or ruling the synagogue, or if it was a priest in the temple, would have said, go find the male authority figure in your life, which for her would have been her father until she was married to Joseph. So whatever she knew about God and Scripture, she learned from dad, or she learned from what's in her home. Who was her dad? Ultimately, God. But who was her physical father, right? We don't know. But he was an awesome disciple maker in his home, wasn't he? Just saying. She would have uh, had to turn to him to learn everything that you're reading right here. And I don't know how old she is. Maybe 16. That's what most people think. 15, 16. But it shows how much God was celebrated in her home. So we've been looking at her way of worship. At least in this moment, and it's called Magnificent. So this is we're going to look at the back half. We looked at the front half. We're going to look at the back half now. And remember, it means magnify. It's a Latin word for magnify. It's the first word in the first sentence of the thing. Remember, we talked about it last week. Contrary to how this has been turned into a object of worshiping Mary, Mary is worshiping Him, not herself. And I want to show it to you. So get your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 1. If you're already there, awesome. You're going to need to be there because I'm going to be showing you some things in here. And you're going to have to look down to see it. So look at really quick. Luke 1. Look at verse 46. And I want you just to see. I'm just going to skim this really fast. And we're going to, we're going to go over it a couple of times. But I want you to skim it really quick. And just look at, you know, in verse 46, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. 47, God, my Savior. So, Lord, God, Savior. That's the title of the person to whom she wants you to see. Lord, God, Savior. And then, look in verse 48. He looked on his humble estate. His servant. Look in verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things. Holy is his name. Verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. 51, he has shown great strength from his arm. He has scattered the proud, verse 52. He has brought down mighty from their thrones, 53. He has filled the hungry, the rich. He sent away, verse 54. He has helped his servant, remembrance of his mercy, 55. He spoke to our fathers, Abraham and his offspring forever. Look how many times she's pointing your eyes at him. Like, that's all she's doing. Truly, her soul is magnifying the Lord, her God, and her Savior. She, you, she sees him as Savior. That's how she can point so high, highly at him. So I always give you a sentence. I gave you half of one last week. This one's kind of long, but that's okay. It's for a good reason. So last week, I want to build on what we said because we're looking at the other half of what she was saying. So the sentence is this. Our worship should magnify Christ through remembering his word and what he's done in our lives. Celebrating. That his kingdom is for all people and his glory alone. We already talked about the back half of this, the front half of that. But this half, we want to put on the fact that he celebrate, that we celebrate his kingdom is for all people and his glory alone. So we looked at 46 through 50 last week. This week, we're just going to look at 51 to 55. 
But let me give you a couple of key verses to recall. Look back in Luke chapter 1. Look back at verse 27. It says, Gabriel had been sent to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Key that that's noted, okay? House of David and a virgin's name was Mary. Verse 31 He says, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great, be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God, watch this, will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Why is that particularly important in the moment? Well, who's king of Israel at this time? Kind of a trick question, but Herod is the correct answer. But ultimately Caesar, because Caesar, Rome ruled the land. But you're not wrong. Rome had allowed Israel to keep its, quote, king. And so that king was Herod. However, Herod was not even a Jew. Was not even a Jew. His father was Idumean and his mother was Arabian. How did he get on the throne? Rome put him there. Forty years before Jesus' birth, Rome sat him on the throne. How do you think the Jews felt about that? Greatly resented this guy, and he would prove to be a madman. History records it. In fact, I've been in Israel to a location where some of these events I'm about to tell you happened. But out of paranoia about a new king being born, you can read this in your Bible, out of paranoia about a new king being born, He ordered the extermination of all the male children in and around Bethlehem, attempting to have the new king put to death. Later, towards the end of his reign, thinking that his own family was going to overthrow him, he had one of his wives put to death, uh, had two of her sons put to death, and his own eldest son put to death, as well as the mother of his wife. The Roman Emperor Augustus said it would be safer To be Herod's pig than his son. That's a Roman emperor. That's what kind of person is sitting on the throne. So with that in mind, let's look at this. But first, again, like last week, let's look at the scripture. Remember last week we unpacked. Let's see all the scripture she's doing. I'm going to give them to you quickly. You can write them down. And then we'll come back quick. We'll come back and roll through it really quick. But let me let me give you the verses first. So look at verse 51. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. She likely had these verses in mind. Psalm 89, 10. You crushed Rahab. That's a term for Egypt. You defeated the enemy, Egypt. Like a carcass, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. She probably got these in mind. There's so many verses, but I'm just giving you some. Verse 52 of Luke 1. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he's exalted those of humble estate. Remember I told you she prob- maybe Hannah was her favorite Bible character? Because she refers to Hannah's words so many times, and this is another case. First Samuel 2.7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. I mean, you can look back at the verse that she, where, where she said in verse 52 and just lay it on top of each other. Job 5.11, he sets on high those who are lowly. And those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. 
verse 53 of Luke 1. She says, Mary says, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Again, Hannah, 1 Samuel 2, 5. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Man, that's a great, that's a great, the way she words that's powerful. Psalm 107, 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. These are great verses, right? Great verses. Uh, that's probably why she's remembered them. They were probably important to her heart already. Look at uh, verse 54, Luke 1. She says, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now she's made it real personal and real precise. She named names here. So many verses, but I'll just give you a, a few on this one. Isaiah 41.8. But you... Israel, God speaking, you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. What a great thing that must be to have God call you my friend to other people. You know, Exodus thirty-two thirteen. Moses says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land I promised I'll give to their offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Psalm 98, 3. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And Genesis 17, verse 4. This is. God making his covenant with Abraham that she's referring to. Behold, my covenant is with you, God says, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations, plural, and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So many verses I could go into, but this is what's on her heart, man. As she's saying what she's saying, as she's singing what she's singing, she's recalling all of these things from Scripture. But remember, and this is what's important, Mary's not just quoting verses. And I'm not saying that it's not important to memorize Scripture precisely. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in this moment, she's not just quoting out Bible verses. She's expressing her heart. It's inspired by Scripture, but they're not just religious phrases. This is the, When you read this, this is the observation of what's in somebody's heart. How somebody feels. What somebody is thinking and, and what they want you to hear. And what they don't care if you hear. You know, it's inside of them. So let's pick it apart real quick and then we'll finish up. Verse 51 says, go back over there. It says, he has shown strength with his arm and he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Notice these are actions, right? Shown, scattered. And keep in mind what she's celebrating. A child. Right? She's celebrating. That's what started all this. The child in her womb. So she's celebrating a child. So how has he displayed strength with her having a child? 
we could say, well, she's a virgin. Well, that would do it. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. But this is not talking about creation. This is not talking about all the things we could say, how he's displayed strength. This is talking about the fact that he kept his word. All of what he said about a king to come, a Messiah. That's what Messiah means, by the way, king. That's literally the word Messiah means king. So every time you see Messiah, you're saying king. So the coming Messiah was the coming king. So all of the talk now has happened. He's here. Like he's powerful to keep his word. You think anybody said it never happened? I don't think she thought that. I think she believed it fully. But I guarantee you, between the time of Abraham and the time of Mary, I promise you there were people that were like, yeah, this ain't going to happen. Think about Noah and the flood, right? Why are you building this ark? Why are you doing it? All these wise people. Why do you believe this? Why do you think this? Why do you why do you follow that? Why do you trust that? And then here it's at. Powerful. To be unstopped. Shown the strength of his arm to make his word come true. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not anticipating him coming again, let me just tell you. As sure as Mary celebrated, one day I'm singing a song, y'all. You know what I'm saying? One day I'm singing. It's going to happen. Notice the tool that he uses to scatter the proud here, too, by the way. What is it he uses? Their own thoughts from their own hearts. Do you see that? Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. What is the thought of the heart of a proud person? Oh, I know. I know. I know. Oh, I know. I know that. I know. I know. I know. I already know. I know. I know. Been there. I did it. Yes. Did it better. You all know the person, right? You all know the person. It's obnoxious, right? Last thing you want to do is talk. Can you help that person? No chance. Go away. You don't need my help. Go away. You got it figured out. You already at the top, bro. You already number one. You told me so. You're already there. I, how can I help advance your cause? You are in need of nothing. Paul said in Romans 1 that fools are birthed that way. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In fact, it's old news. Proverbs said the pride would, they would destroy themselves through pride, right? Pride comes before what? Fall before destruction. Both are true. They're both two song, two proverbs. One says before a fall. One says before destruction. Same thing. Pride comes before destruction. Hardy, a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. You know what I'm saying? That's his word. But remember now, God's causing them to be scattered here. Because of their pride. He's almost amplifying it. It's not happening as a byproduct. God is, is, is not out of control here. God is saying, let me just help you go on your way. Let me just help you go on. And we know that because what he says next, verse 52. He has brought down the mighty. That word mighty, that's the Greek word we get the word dynasty from. So when you think about a dynasty, a rule... It's saying he's brought down the mighty ruler from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Here we are at the heart of what Mary means 
when she talks about the proud, she's talking about rulers. Probably, certainly, thinking about Herod, I would say. Remember Mary's lineage? We just went back and read it. She was from the house of what? David, right? What does that mean? Yeah, she's of the lineage of David. Her family had right to that throne. Her family was supposed to be on that throne. And I'm not saying she's bitter at Herod. I'm just saying she's realizing that her child is king and not him. And he is by far a picture of arrogance unwound. You know what I'm saying? But but notice now, notice. Let me back you up a minute and notice something here. She's worshiping. She She's not starting a rebellion. She is not getting all of her propaganda ready. She's not picking fights with everybody in order to, in order to overthrow this rotten, terrible government that's there because finally I got the guy. You know, I... I know I'm not the oldest guy in the room, but I've been around for 51 years. And the presidents of the United States that I can remember go back about as far as Jimmy Carter. I remember when he was president. Some can probably go back farther than that. I was born in the 70s. But I have never in my life seen people, especially Christians, whose entire lives hang in the balance over a presidential election like they have in the past two decades. Two decades now. I'm going back two decades, so I'm giving you some grace here. Who's elected and who's not elected? Like the world is just going to die. Like all of a sudden, Jesus can't help himself anymore. And listen, I'm going to vote. Come next year, I'm going to vote. I promise you. Come next year, I, I, I can tell you right now, I'm going to have opinions about who needs to be elected and who doesn't be elected. And I'm going to exercise my right to vote, and you most definitely should too. But I can tell you one thing for a fact. I'm not panicked over who gets elected. Annoyed? Maybe. <laughs> panicked? No. I'm not panicked because, listen, listen. God's word says the throne is his. It's all his, bro. It ain't in jeopardy. It's his alone. He doesn't share it. He's not in partnership with an American president. He's not in partnership with a foreign dictator. He's not in partnership with anybody. And at no point is that in jeopardy. At no point. You know how I know that? Because his word is inevitable. It's inevitable. You think I'm wrong? Go back and start at the beginning. Just start looking at what's happened. It's inevitable. And she is celebrating. She's worshiping. She's, she, yeah, she's celebrating that the right person might be king, but she's celebrating God for this. She's not picking fights. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent away empty. Remember the context here. Again, it's a baby that's in her belly. It's who that baby is. He could have been sent to the wealthy, and they could have sent the poor away, which was probably the common thing for kings. Think about when you imagine a, a royal child being born, how many of the poor do they invite to that scene? Not None of them. You know what I'm saying? None of them. It, it, they might you know, come up with programs for the poor, but this, the point is this, this king is sent to the poor. You know why? Because his kingdom is different. His kingdom is different. This reveals something about God's heart. 
He's literally, what is he doing here? He's interceding on behalf of the least and the poor. Not just materially, it's also a heart thing. Because remember, he's talking about being proud in heart. It's both here. The people, he speaks of turning away here. They think they don't need the poor. Or God. They don't, they don't need you. The rich don't need anything. Now, not, God's got no problem with wealth. God gave wealth. Go read the story of Solomon. Don't get much more wealthy than that. God gave wealth, but he gives and he takes away. Exactly. But what his point here is that the rich don't need them. Jesus came to seek and save what? The lost. That's right. So guess what? If you're not lost or you can't admit it, you don't need him. You're already there, right? You already found your way. You're already there. Jesus said... He came for the sick, not the healthy. So if you don't feel sick, you don't need him. One author wrote this. He said, the common people of that day were almost helpless when it came to justice and civil rights. They were often hungry, downtrodden, and discouraged, and there was no way for them to fight the system. A secret society of patriotic Jewish extremists called the Zealots used violent means to oppose Rome, but their activities only made matters worse. Those guys are still around in Jesus' time. There was one that stood beside him on the stage and was released instead of him. What was his name? Barabbas, right. Mary saw the Lord turning everything upside down. The weak dethroned the mighty. The humble scattered the proud. The nobodies are exalted, the hungry are filled, and the rich end up poor. The grace of God works contrary to the thoughts and ways of this world system. So true. Jesus said in his kingdom, the first will be what? And the last will be first. You get that? It's both. I'm glad you brought it because it's both. If the last is first... And the first is last, and the last is first, and the first is last, and the last is first. What does that mean? Love negates it out. We're all level. There's only one king. We're all level beneath that. The first is last. The, the last is first in his kingdom. Whoever wants to be important among you must be what? You know? Say a harder word than humble. Servant of all. Servant of all. You want to be important? You've got to be servant of all. Jesus walked his talk, y'all. He was king of the Jews, man. King of the Jews. But where was he born? Among animals in a little town outside of the major capital city. He was king of all nations, but he became a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He was the flawless Perfect king of creation, but he took on the sins of the world to redeem creation. Verse 54, he has helped or taken up for, that's what it means, he's taken up for his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, has helped. Have you caught this by now or have you noticed that all of this is past tense? Everything that she's saying is past tense. The baby's still in her body. 
Mary's celebrating this child that's growing there inside her, but she's saying all these things as past tense. You know why? Because from the moment that God told Eve, from the moment that God told Abraham, to the moment that Gabriel is telling her, it's already done. It's already done. Why? Because it's his word. It's certain. Mary's celebrating that her child's going to be king. And God's promise to Abraham is going to come true and continue. Look, Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you'll be, so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me tell you something. If you didn't know it, there's only one God. There's no God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. There's no God of law and God of grace. There's only a God of grace who has law. There's only one God. The whole story is about the one person. The one God all the way through. He's the same, what? Yesterday? Today and forever, he is always the same. He is the Old Testament and he is the New Testament and he's whatever's after that and whatever was before that. He's always the same. His Old Testament promise to Abraham is fulfilled in a New Testament version. They go together. He is king. A king. Listen, Jesus is a king from a nation of Hebrews. Jews, Hebrews, same word, same people. Jews and Hebrews are the same people. A king from a nation of Hebrews. He was born to a Hebrew family of a royal Hebrew bloodline. He grew up in a Jewish world and made Jewish disciples. Don't like it. I hate it for you. It's what happened. And it will return to reign among a Jewish nation of Hebrew people in a Jewish capital city. If you think that's wrong, you can go back and read the book. The Mormons think it will be in Missouri. Not taking a shot. I'm, that's what they think. That's what they think. I'm telling you right now, your Bible does not say that. But I point all of that out because I don't want you to miss what was right from the start. The moment he promised all of that to Abraham, look what he said in verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the start, it was about all families. And Paul Paul points that out in Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith in Christ, that's what he's talking about, faith in Christ, who are the sons of Abraham. And Paul ties that specifically back to the verse I just read. And then he says in verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We're brought into that family. We're, we're part of that family. John three sixteen. It says God sent his son because he so loved what? The world. Like it's always been bigger than just that one people, but it had to be through a people. That's part of him proving he's true. That's part of him keeping his word. Mary's child, descendant of Abraham, line of David, is a gift to all nations. To all nations for all time, she said, from generation to generation. 
unless you don't think you need that gift. Isaiah 42, 6. God said, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for what? The nations. I will give you. Do you realize what that means? It means that this child is for you. You. You know, today, he was born to this woman, this poor little girl. Not victim poor, poor, poverty poor. Little girl. 2,000 years, roughly, whatever, before you existed. But Mary's baby is for you. For you. Do you understand that's the gospel? I'm going to tell you right now, I know for a fact there's no hope Dave Wiley is going to reach the top. You ain't got to argue with me about it because nobody knows me like me. So I'm going to tell you right now. I surrender the fact that I will not reach the top. I don't know what the top is, but that's another reason I know I ain't going to reach it, because I don't even know what that is. But wherever it is, I cannot get there. I can't get there. And listen, I don't want to go there. If everybody can get wherever that is, I don't want it. I don't want it. And that's not because I think I'm better than people. That's because if people are like me, I want to be pure. I want to be around people who are pure. I want to be around people who love. I want to be around people who show mercy. I want to be around people who have peace, patience, kindness. Like that's what sums them up all the time. I want to be around people I can fully trust with everything. No, they will never lie. They will never hurt. I want to be around that. And I can't be around that. You know why? Because I'm not that guy. I don't deserve to be around that guy, that group, because I'm not that guy. I want to be, but I'm not. And I know for a fact right now, after 51 years, I can promise you I cannot get there. I can't. And I'm okay that, with that. Because 1972 years before I was conceived, God gave me a gift. An opportunity to be free of the burden of sin. An opportunity to let David die and be made new. A promise that one day I'll be free of all of that. And I'll be surrounded with people who are also free of all of that. Not because of anything we did, but because this baby grew up and embraced a piece of wood and three nails after the worst beating in all of history for me. For me. And that's not good enough. He got out of the grave. Now we talk. Anybody can die on a cross. Two people died beside him. Only one came out of the grave. Alive. That's for me. That's for you. 
That's the gospel. But that only is a gift to those who realize they need it. Only to those who realize they need it. Listen, if that's you today, that's where it all starts. You've got to start there. You've got to start there. You need to tell him. There's nothing complicated about it. You just tell him. I need it. I need you. I need you. I know who I am. I'm not climbing anymore. I need you. You and you only. Listen, if you're believers here, what do we do with this? Let me finish with this really quick. Let me point something out to think about here. Mary's worshiping God here, but this talk is not soft, sweet talk. This talk that she's using is dangerous. In fact, it's so bold that it's sedition in a sense. There's one author who wrote this, and it's really good. He said, there's a danger in trying to spiritualize the magnificent. These are the most revolutionary words spoken. Through the Messiah, the mighty will be brought low. The humble, the lowly will be exalted. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, warned his missionaries to India never to read it in public. Christians were already suspect in that country, and they were cautioned against reading verses that were so inflammatory. Jesus, the ultimate revolutionary, completely reverses human values. It's a powerful a lot of talk there. I will say one thing about that. Jesus is not a revolutionary. Now, I came I came up on the rock and roll side of it all. But I'm telling you, Jesus is not a revolutionary. I've seen all the shirts. Jesus is not a revolutionary. Jesus is a returning king. He's not starting a revolution. He is reclaiming what belongs to him. It is his. It has always been his. He created it, and he's come to take it. And that's exactly what happened. And that's scarier than any revolutionary. He's come to take it back. Mary knows her king and knows his plan. Can you say that? I hope so. I hope so. So let me ask this. We close this. Let me ask this then. Then what are you worshiping for? Hold on. Don't answer. What do you worship him for, really? Is it because of the gifts he gives you? Because of your presence? Or is it because he's establishing a kingdom, even at the cost of your own? Stand up with me, and I'm going to pray. Stand up with me for a minute. Close your eyes, uh, not to be overly spiritual or anything, but I just want you to close your eyes a minute and process what's just been said. Not by me, by the word. Just take a second before we go into the last song and sing and and let this sit in a second. Let it sit in just a minute. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this little girl that loved you so much, that knew you so well, that when something 
beyond our ability to understand on the highest level happened to her. That you could be a child born to a, her, a virgin. Just so much about that is impossible to understand. And seminaries and theologians and all these, quote, wise people do everything they can to try to figure out what's the right explanation. There is no explanation. It is impossible, and that's the point. Impossible. Beyond my ability to grasp. Mind blown. Lord, but you did that because of grace. Which is also beyond my ability to grasp. Why would you love me that much? I'm not worth it. But you say I am. Lord, you say that about all of us in the room. For God so loved the world. Each person in here. Love overwhelming. Love while we're enemies. Lord, you're awesome. Thank you for this little girl's heart. Thank you for recording those words, which have become scripture, Lord, your words. Thank you that thousands of years later we can look at them and be encouraged by them and be drawn closer to you. I love you, Lord, and I ask these things in Jesus' name.